Uh, second announcement is this. Uh, just so that you know, on the first Sunday of January, which is January the 5th, uh, our early service will be moved back till 9 o'clock. So instead of 8.30, the early service will start at 9. It'll be over by 10 or 10.15. The second service will start at 10.45 as usual. So worship team, if you could hear me, we have a shorter time to get ready for the second service, but with God's help, we're going to do it. So January 5th, 9, 9 o'clock and 10.45 services in the morning. All right, take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Uh, I've entitled the message today, Missions and the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the Great Commission. We were quoting uh, scriptures from Matthew 28 and Mark 16, which are, the, which are the Great Commission scriptures, to go into all the world, preach, teach, make disciples, etc., baptize. And uh, Acts 1.8 was to wait until you're endued, from on po- endued with power from on high. But in Luke 24, we have a little bit different uh, slant on the Great Commission that Jesus is recorded as saying. So Luke 24, verse number 44. Now this is after the uh, crucifixion, of course, after the resurrection, right before his ascension. So he said to them, verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. May I give you a a little bit of advice? Whenever you read the word, it's always good to pray, Lord, open my understanding as I read your word. We need Holy Ghost anointing as we read the word. So he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, or wait, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, if we go, turn over to the book of Acts chapter 1. Now, Luke and Acts are related. It's like Acts is a continuation of Luke, written by the same person. So uh, Acts chapter 1 continues the story that we just read. In Acts chapter 1, starting at verse number 4, it says this, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own authority. They were thinking that maybe something really grand was going to happen at this time, that Jesus would establish his kingdom on earth now. But he said, You don't need to know that. But verse number 8, But you shall receive power. I like that combination. You don't need to know everything, but you need to have power. And you won't know everything, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, bless this message. Lord, use it to 
Use it to touch our hearts. Uh, Use it, Lord, to teach us your word. And uh, use it, Lord, to empower this fellowship to be uh, the most missions-minded church we can be. And so we pray, Lord, your blessing over this. Lord, anoint my lips that I may speak your word. Anoint our ears that we may hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So missions and the Holy Spirit. Uh, As the story unfolds here, uh, if you want to just follow along in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So they were waiting. Jesus ascended on the 40th day after Passover, or with the crucifixion and the resurrection was during the Passover weekend. So 40 days went by. They were waiting. They were waiting for this promise to come. And it says uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, on the day, on the feast of Pentecost. So Pentecost would be 50 days from the Passover. So they were waiting for 10 days for something to happen. And, uh, and then, so they were all in one accord waiting. Verse number 2, suddenly uh, the, the spirit fell. And um, I want to look back at chapter 1 for just a moment, because many people say, who was, the, who was there in the upper room? Who was waiting? Well, in chapter 1, we see a little passage, uh, verses uh, 12 through, through 14 or 15. We see that uh, the names are listed of the 11 apostles. Judas was out of the picture. The, his replacement didn't come yet. But in verse number uh, 14, it says, They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women uh, and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So there was more than the 11. There were those other people. But verse 15 says, Altogether, there were about 120 people gathered together waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit came in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. There were tongues that, that descended like tongues of fire. I would, I would think in terms of, think of the burning bush. Think of the Shekinah glory of God. Think of Hebrews 12 that says uh, our God is a consuming fire. But this was a a, a symbolic act of God to to show these people this is something totally supernatural and unusual. And here it says in verse number 4, they were all filled and they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were empowered. They were healed of Failure. I like that phrase. They were healed of failure. What do we mean? They all failed the Lord before. They all ran away when he was on the cross. Peter vehemently denied knowing him, but they were healed of failure and, and insecurity. And now they had a certainty. They knew what to preach. Peter's preaching from Joel and from the Psalms. He's proclaiming the things of God. He's putting together Old Testament scriptures with the words of Jesus. He's preaching, preaching, preaching. Verse number 14, Peter stands with the 11, and they begin to to proclaim the word of God. And uh, in verse number 37, if you want to look at it real quick, I like the way uh, Peter must have been preaching, because he had good results from the preaching. I don't like weak preaching. I don't like mamsy-pamsy. Somebody give me an amen. Get me going here. In other words, he was preaching in such a way, in verse 37, they were cut to their heart. Ah, what shall we do, Peter? What do we do? I hear you. Like they responded in such a way they didn't know what to do. So Peter, what an open door. I'll tell you what to do. Repent and get baptized and be filled with the Spirit of God. And then verse 41, it concludes by saying there were 3,000 souls that got saved that day. 3,000 got baptized that day. And now for a long time, I had a problem with 3,000 people not getting saved, but getting baptized, because that's a lot of baptisms for one guy to do. 
But I think I have the answer. I think the 120 took 25 each and took care of the 3,000. I think that's very doable. They went to the river. They went to the pools in the city. They went all over the place. And these 120 were filled with the Spirit, and they were put right to work to baptize those new believers. So, missions and the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you today about uh, the connection between the two. I want to talk about the five examples in the book of Acts of believers getting baptized with the Holy Spirit and how that impacted their view of missions. Then, uh, Lord willing, and I'm trusting God that he's willing, we'll have some application uh, as time allows today. So I'm going to give you five episodes. Okay, so you can just follow along the best you can. I'm going to go kind of fast. The first episode we already looked at is in Acts chapter 2. But the city is Jerusalem. The 120 were there waiting, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in other tongues. And uh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't really feel what they were feeling. But verse number two says, "Suddenly, anyone ever have a suddenly moment?" Well, they were waiting for ten days already, so you know, suddenly is relative. Some people are, are waiting for ten years for things, but suddenly God moves. You know, so the word "suddenly" is relative to what, what's going on. But um, these humble believers that were so wrecked by the death of Jesus, you know, some didn't even believe even after they said he was alive. Uh, but now they're standing, they're proclaiming. Uh, Peter especially was, uh, was uh, dejected and uh, was, uh, was desperately, you know, desperately rebuked uh, knowing the Lord or, or refuted knowing the Lord. And now he's restored and he's filled with the Spirit of God, proclaiming with, with conviction uh, this wonderful gospel message. So the first, the first connection between missions and the Holy Spirit is that the early church had to be filled with the Holy Spirit because their, their new mission field is now Israel. These are the very people that crucified Jesus, that released Barabbas, and didn't want anything to do with the Lord's teaching. That's their mission field. How would you like to have that mission field? But see, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them, they could say things, they could do things, they could preach the Word of God. And God is moving through the whole process of teaching, preaching, and witnessing. And and on that day alone, 3,000 got saved. Later on in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 got saved. So there's the connection is that the church needed the Holy Spirit to reach this new people group called Israel, or called the Jews, with the gospel message. And the results were really, really very good. Okay, the second uh, example is over in Acts chapter 8. Let's go over there. So in Acts chapter 8, the first couple of verses, we read that there was persecution in Jerusalem. The Christians were being scattered to Judea and Samaria. And uh, so now we have Acts 1-8 coming into play. They, they were witnesses in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria to the outermost. So now Judea has heard the word, and now Samaria. And so um, Philip now, in verse number 5, left uh, Jerusalem. Philip is famous from Acts chapter 6, when he was one of the 12 that waited on the tables, when the women had a need. But now he's gone down to Samaria to proclaim the word of God. He's preaching the word of God. And uh, so we see, as, as the story unfolds, there was great revival there. There were healings there. People were getting delivered from demonic uh, possession. Uh, supernatural things happening. Uh, there, in verse number 8, it says there was great joy in that city. And so what happened was, the brothers down in Jerusalem, 
heard that something was going on in Samaria. And you have to keep in mind that at that time, Samaritans were not the Jews' most favorite people. So even though these Jews that were now Christians were in Jerusalem, they're hearing about what's going on in, in Samaria, and they have questions about this. They're Samaritans. They're not holy. They're unclean people. What's this we hear about the re, this revival going on? So in verse 14, it says, When the apostles heard about this, uh, they sent out Peter and John to basically to check it out. And uh, when they had come down there, they, they saw what was going on. They, it was all good. But they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So they prayed. They laid hands on them. They prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And those Samaritans now, those half-breed people, half-Gentile, half-Jew, were now filled with the Spirit of God, just like the Jews were in Acts chapter 2. And there was even more joy and excitement in that city. Then two things happened right after that. The first thing that happened was this episode with Simon the sorcerer came into play. Simon saw what was going on. He offered money to buy this gift of the Holy Spirit. He was severely rebuked by Peter. And so when the anointing comes, when the baptism comes, there's a cleansing of the house. You know what I mean? The the Spirit of God can't reside where there's that kind of rebellion and that kind of unholiness. So that was dealt with. But the second thing that happened, I see it in verse number 26. Something really, to me, very unusual. I mean, I could just imagine Philip now. He's having revival. Everybody's coming. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered from demonic problems and possession. Who would want to leave? But when the Holy Spirit, now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. The Spirit of God is moving in a greater way and taps Philip on the shoulder and says, Philip, it's time for you to leave here and go to the one person over there. I think that would absolutely be a move of the Holy Spirit to take a person away from all the excitement to go down to one person where he was uncertain as to what was even going to happen. But when the Holy Spirit moves, see, missions in the Holy Spirit is always concerned about the one as much as the multitudes. And sometimes I think in our culture today, we sometimes get a little bit confused as to what, what Pentecostal even means. Now, Pentecostal does not always mean loud and long. Although that might happen, but that's, that's not a real characteristic. <laughs> that, that gets an amen. But being Pentecostal means being empowered by God and being sensitive to God. It's not even about the multitude per se. Well, someone would say, oh, you have to have 500 people that then we know God's really moving. Or really, I don't think so. Because in this case, God was moving in the multitude, but he was concerned now about the one way over there on Gaza Road. So a Pentecostal belief system would say, I want the multitudes to come to Christ, yes, but I want to be concerned about the one to come to Christ as well. So Philip, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, under the moving of the Holy Spirit in that revival, he leaves and goes to one person, finds him. He's an Ethiopian. He's from Africa. He's reading the Bible, and uh, he's reading Isaiah. It says, I think in verse 35, uh, Philip, using that scripture from Isaiah, begins to preach Jesus to him. He gets saved. He gets baptized, and they go on their way. All to say that missions and the Holy Spirit is absolutely linked together for the multitudes as well as for the individual. Amen. Okay, the third example we see in Acts chapter 9, which is the story of Paul's conversion and Paul's infilling. Uh, Acts chapter 9 tells the story pretty clearly. 
But Saul was on the way to Damascus to persecute the Christians. He was not a Christian. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a zealot. He was, he was angry at Christians. He hated Christians. He thought it was his duty to get them, arrest them, and have them put to death. So he got permission from the authorities to go to Damascus to do this. Well, on his way, the Lord Jesus appears to him and says, why are you hurting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul falls down. He's stricken blind. It says in verse number 9, for three days he was blind. And uh, the Lord saved him. The Lord saved him right there. And so what was happening? There was another brother named Ananias. And Ananias was a Christian man. And the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go minister to Saul. Uh, Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Gentile name. And Ananias basically said, uh, Lord, we, uh, we know about Paul. He kills us. He doesn't like us. And, and uh, you know, almost like saying, Lord, are you sure you want me to go to Paul? And, and Jesus, the Lord says to Ananias, yes, Paul's a chosen vessel of mine. He's going to be my witness amongst the Gentiles, amongst the, uh, the kings, and amongst the children of Israel. So Ananias, now filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, listens to the Lord, and the Lord says, Ananias, go down there, lay hands on Paul, and heal him of his blindness, and, and pray for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know that had to take the Holy Spirit for that whole thing to happen. But we see in verses uh, 17 and 18, this is Acts 9, 17 and 18. Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, right there, that's a miracle. He's my brother, that's a miracle right there. That's an act of the Holy Spirit that Ananias could call Paul my brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he prayed over him. Uh, Paul was healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. He was later water baptized. So, so what happened? What's the importance of the Holy Spirit in missions? Well, this whole thing, God used this episode to raise Paul up to be the probably the most important missionary church planter in the whole New Testament. Uh, his life was characterized by a spirit-filled life, spirit-filled ministry. He was a spirit-filled preacher. Uh, he founded at least 14 churches. He wrote 14 books of the New Testament. Uh, God used Paul to document our Christian doctrine uh, through Romans and the rest of the epistles. He lived a life of faith and uh, miracles and overcoming obstacles. He even had a, a vision of third, the, third, the third heaven uh, when he was on earth. So the importance is God used the Holy Spirit to set his life apart to do a greater work than probably anybody else at that time. Now, over in chapter 10, we have another episode. The story of Cornelius. Cornelius is a great story. Uh, Cornelius, it says, was a devout man. He was a soldier in the, in the Roman army, the Italian army. Um, he was a good man. He gave money to the poor. But he was seeking God. He was praying to God for direction. Didn't have a relationship through Jesus, but he was praying to God generically. And as he was doing that, he had a vision. And in the vision, the Lord said to him, or an angel said to him, go to Joppa, send for a person named Simon. He will tell you what you must do. At the same time, Peter, Simon Peter's up in Joppa, 
having these visions about food, about how this unclean food in the Jewish world is now cleansed and he could eat it. And he realizes, he has this epiphany, he realizes that if God is cleaning this unclean food, it's okay to eat. He realized that this gospel message is now good for not only the Jews and not only the Samaritans, but now for a whole different group of people, the Gentiles. At the same time, he hears a knock on the door. Peter, Simon Peter, Cornelius in Caesarea is looking for you to come tell him some, some news that he's waiting to hear. I'll guarantee you it was not about what to cook for dinner that night. It was about the gospel. So Peter gets up and goes down there, and the story picks up in verse number 44. But Peter's preaching to him. He's preaching to Cornelius and his household. They had to start believing. Because as he's preaching, they start speaking in tongues. And Peter realizes, oh my goodness, these Gentiles... These unclean people in our, in our world are now doing the same thing that we did before in Acts chapter 2. And he realizes they got saved, they got filled. What could prevent them from getting baptized in water? So he baptizes Cornelius and the whole household. And, and from that, we realize, you know what? God is no respecter of persons. He will save anybody. He will fill anybody if they have a willing heart. Now, this was manifested, if you look in your Bible, Acts chapter 11, because what, uh, what Peter had to do, I mean, the elders were, were wondering, okay, first of all, you tell me the Samaritans are getting saved. Okay, now you're telling me the Gentiles are getting saved? I can just see their, the look on their face. So Peter had to go down there and explain himself to them. So the story picks up in 1117. Um, so after Peter gives the story of what happened, uh, he says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, the elders, they became silent. That's a move of the Spirit right there. Can I say, say that? Being silent. Well, this is a good uh, thing for a Pentecostal, to be silent sometimes. Just because we're Pentecostal doesn't mean we always have to have something to say. Whew. But here, here they are. So Peter's telling them this. They got saved. They spoke in tongues just like me. How could I withstand what God? Of course I baptized them. They're listening and they got silent. I love that. They didn't know what to say. They were realizing this is true. This is right. This is God. And then at the end of 18, uh, they were saying, God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So yeah, the Holy Spirit in missions. Now the mission field is not only the Jews and the Samaritans. Now the mission field is the whole world. Because Gentiles are everyone that's not Jewish. Now the mission field has, has expanded so big to include the whole world. Now I think the, the church is beginning to understand maybe what Jesus said in John 3.16. That God so loved the world, not just Israel, not just Samaria, not just Palestine, but God so loved the whole world. Now they're beginning to get the picture. But this is by a work and a move of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the, the last one is Acts chapter 19. And this is a story of the Ephesian church. It's kind of an interesting little story here, if you ask me. But if, if we knew the history of chapter 18, the Ephesians were, were taught by a brother named Apollos. And uh, he, he taught them well. And, uh, and they were baptized, but, but when Paul went down there to visit with them, he said, uh, 
he said, verse number two, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we don't even know about the Holy Spirit. He said, well, what were you baptized into? They said, the baptism of John. So the baptism of John, some people get confused, but John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. Remember, his ministry was, repent, the kingdom of God is coming, repent. that's, That's his baptism. So when Jesus came, and, and people believed in Jesus, they were baptized in Jesus, which is a baptism of not repentance, because we repented already when we believed, but it's a baptism demonstrating salvation. So when Paul finds that out, he rebaptizes them in the name of Jesus. And after they're rebaptized in the name of Jesus, he lays hands on them, prays over them, and guess what? They begin to speak in other tongues and prophesy. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says there are about 12 men in all. So here, here we have missions and the Holy Spirit. Um, twelve people baptized, filled. And out of those twelve people, man, great things happened in that church of Ephesus. Give me twelve spirit-filled men, and we'll turn this whole place upside down. Men that are sold out to God. What I mean is they started a school, the school of Tyrannus. They started a school. There were unusual miracles performed by Paul in, in uh, uh, Ephesus. Uh, there's a story of the seven sons of Sceva. You know the story? There were these Jewish, itinerant Jewish preachers that were going out proclaiming the things of God. And, uh, and uh, they ran across this, this guy, Sceva, and his seven sons that were demon-possessed. And they, they rebuked these uh, itinerant Jewish preachers. And they said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? And so it was an opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ. But there were testimonies. People burned their sorcery, sorcery books, their witchcraft books, and they really turned to the Lord. They stopped buying the statue to Diana, and there was a great riot in the city, and there was great revival in that city. It all started with 12 spirit-filled men. That's why I'm saying, give me 12 spirit-filled men, we could change the whole scenario around here that are running after God. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, which you all know about, great teaching on spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God. That was for the Ephesians. They're mentioned again about 50 years later in Revelation chapter 2, that the church of Ephesus has done a great work. They've done some great things. But but, uh, the Lord said, I have this one thing against you. You lost your first love. Unfortunately, they lost their first love. But what I'm saying is, when a church is filled with the Spirit of God, Great things can happen. That school of Tyrannus, if you look at 19, verse 10, from that one school, everyone in Asia, because Ephesus was a a town that had a lot of traffic, people heard, Jew and Gentile heard the things of God from all over Asia, from that one uh, preaching post in Ephesus. So to summarize all that, missions and and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will take the hurting the dejected and the weak and fill them and empower them to do a great work for the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what missions is all about. I still think of myself as somewhat of a missionary. I mean, I didn't go too far, but New York and Massachusetts are like two different countries, if you know what I mean, sometimes. Especially New York City and Boston. But that's another story. But I'm sent out. And I, but I remember coming to the Lord and my own brokenness and my own weakness and my own insecurity and whatever I was dealing with at the time, never thinking in a trillion years I would ever be doing what I'm doing now. But he filled me with the Holy Spirit. 
And now I could do things I would never thought I could do. But that's true for anybody here. He takes the weak and the hurt and fills them. Number two, he always remembers the one that needs his touch. Can I encourage you with something? Some of you, you know, we have our different gifts. But there are some of you here that are gifted, I don't know what what we could call the, the gift of observation, let's say. You have the gift of observation. What do I mean? What I, what I mean is there could be a multitude of people here in the church, have a great service, worshiping God. Everyone's, oh, hallelujah. But out of the corner of your eye, you observe one person that just doesn't seem happy, just doesn't seem with what's going on. And the Lord's dealing with you to go talk to that one person about the things of God or whatever's on their heart at that particular moment. I, I think that's a spirit-filled church right there. That in in the midst of all the excitement, there's that one person that God wants to hone in on and grab hold of. And God wants to use me or you to touch those those people. The third third thing that that, um, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, uh, commissions great workers. I love the story of Paul. You think Ananias knew what was going to happen to Paul? He was probably leaving there saying, man, I just want to get out of here and see what happens. You know? (laughs) And Paul became this tremendous leader. You know? But who knows who we pray for? Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows about our youth group or our children or anybody that comes up for prayer? We pray for them to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Only God knows what that situation is going to bring out, what fruit that will bring out in their lives and for the kingdom of God. Yeah. I I can remember also, you know, back in my earlier days as a Christian, many times some strange person would come up to me and pray for me. And, uh, yeah, th- their prayers worked. They don't know that they worked because I left North Carolina, but they worked. So our prayers mean something, you know, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, n- number four is this. Uh, God arranges the right people to minister together. I love the connection of Cornelius and Peter because in the natural, they had nothing in common. You're talking about a soldier that was after the church. And a Christian that's a leader in the church trying to avoid these guys, and the Lord puts them together. I mean, come on. That had to be a work of the Holy Spirit. But God has a way of putting us together with the right people. You know why? Because, oh, you know my story with Lenny. Lenny, God knew I could relate to Lenny and vice versa. If someone else told me the same things he told me, I probably would have said, I'll see you later. But the way he said it, I got it. And so God puts us together with the right people that we could be effective with. And the last one is uh, the church of Ephesus, that, yeah, the Lord takes the small things, the weak things, 12 in number, and uses them to really impact a city powerfully, powerfully. So here's the application. I'm looking at the clock. Oh, my goodness. But I'm going for it. The application is we all need the Holy Spirit baptism to be an effective witness for the Lord. What do I mean by witness? What I mean is how we live, how we think, what we do. This is the thing. We're living, I call this a holy tension. You may have heard me say this. We live in a, we live in existence of holy tension. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Peter says it like this. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God, but you're still living on the earth. Hebrew says that your names are registered in heaven but you're living on earth. Jesus said, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are written down in heaven, even though you're living on the earth. So we live by what I would call 
a certain code. I thought of it this week. I like that word, code. You know, people have codes. We have a, a code. It comes from the Bible. Our, our belief system is the Christian code. In other words, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We crucify our flesh and we feed our spirit man, right? That's our code. When we violate that code, we've got to take it serious. We should be grieving. As we grieve the Holy Spirit, we should be grieving that we violated the code. But we'll never be a witness for God if we violate the code repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly without having any remorse. But if we're remorseful, if we repent, if we turn, God will certainly pick us up and get us going again. And so we need Holy Ghost baptism so that we could live the life that God wants us to live. I'm convinced of it. I talked to a brother after the service today. We're talking about uh, his children. And, and boy, I can relate to that. You can't, you can bring a, you can bring a water, uh, a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink, right? Only the Spirit of God could make our children or anybody else drink of the Spirit of God. We could do all we want to do to bring them close, tell them the right things, do all the right things. Only God could make them drink of that spiritual water. But uh, let me, let me, let me do this. <laughs> Three things. Why you and I, need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me be clear. What I'm talking about is what we've been talking about. We need this work of God in our lives, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, that's the initial evidence, but evidenced by a Spirit-filled life, fruit of the Spirit being evidenced. In other words, we, we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. Here's number one. The baptism in the Holy Spirit will help us to see the bigger picture. Because without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, if you're anything like me, it's all about me. I could be very self-centered, can't you? We're in church, you have to be honest. You know, you... But anyway, with the Holy Spirit, we could see the bigger picture. Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, they're already white, ripe for harvest. Did you know that? Jesus said that. Look at the fields. Oh no, I gotta look at my problems. Your problems are just fine. Look at the fields. I gotta wait till I get this straightened out. Uh, your problem will be there later. Just look at the fields. They're white for harvest. See, the Holy Spirit will help us make that connection that regardless of our problems, we're still called to be a witness. Right? Luke 10.2 says, Jesus said this, the harvest is great. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Is that you? Are you looking at the fields? Are you a harvester? Here come the children. <laughs> That's a reminder. I got 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, but see, the Holy Spirit will help us to get focused on the things that are important. Well, I'll let everyone just go ahead and look then. Go ahead. <laughs> bring them in. Come on, bring them in. <laughs> we used to sing it all the time. Children are a blessing of the Lord. <laughs> I'll sing it. Children are a blessing of the Lord. Fruit of the womb is a reward. Train them up in the way they should go. And they won't depart when they are old. For children are a blessing of the Lord. Amen. Yeah. 
All right, so here, here's an application. The Holy Spirit helps us see the bigger picture. These children are part of the bigger picture. We put a high value on these kids. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Okay, here's number two. The Holy Spirit helps us with personal sanctification. Does everyone know Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are the fruit of the Spirit? Right? The last fruit mentioned is probably the most important one. You know what it is? S-C, self-control. If you pray for it, God will give you opportunities to use it. <laughs> but we need self-control. We do. Instead of flying off the handle, we need self-control to say no to certain things, to do certain things, to not do certain things, to not go to certain places, not say certain words in the heat of the moment. Come on. Lord, give me self-control. If we could do that, and then we go back home and we say, Lord, thank you that you helped me bite my tongue. But if we blew it, we go, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Help me, Lord. I know I did wrong. And make your, you know, make your apology. But we need, the whole, we need self-control to say yes to Jesus and no to Satan. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So you need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to some things and to say yes to other things. So, amen. 2 Timothy 2.21. Boy, all the kids are looking at me. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Whoever cleanses himself becomes a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master. So God does his work. We've got to do our work. But we've got to be useful for the master. We've got to be sanctified. We have to be set apart to do a great work for the Lord. So this baptism in the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a holy life. Let me give you some illustrations. I've had people tell me over the years, it's okay if they smoke pot. I'm not talking about medical. I'm talking about recreational. It's not okay to smoke pot recreationally. It's not okay to get drunk from alcohol. Because then people say, where do you find that in the Scripture? I can't find that thou, thou shalt not smoke pot in the scripture. But I can find numerous scriptures that say, be sober-minded, be clear-minded, think clearly. You cannot think clearly if you're under the influence of something else. In fact, you're, you're saying to God that you're not enough, I need something else, which is another insult to the Lord. But how are you going to get that? I could tell you, your friend could tell you, anybody could tell you, you could read it in a book. You won't get that unless the Holy Spirit tells you that. So you need the Spirit. I need the Spirit of God. Because my ways are not His ways, or His ways are not my ways. And His ways always are better and, and are more important than my ways. But we need the Holy Spirit to make that reality known to us. We need to, uh, under personal sanctification, this is like a bad word nowadays. We need to come under authority. Oh my goodness, he said that? Yeah, we need to come under authority of somebody. People say all the time, oh, I don't need any covering. Uh, you know, I don't need any covering. I'm a Christian. God's my covering. Okay, what's the Bible all about then? What's the, what are the epistles all about then? What's the Word of God say? Everyone is under authority. Everyone has to be under authority. Peter was under authority. He had a report to the elders. Paul was under authority. He, he reported to the church of Antioch on his mission trips. Made that big trip, came back and reported what he did. Everybody in the Bible is under authority. So how people say, I don't want, that, that's an act of pride. 
We need to, we'll never be sanctified with pride in our heart. When we're under authority, we're actually in a better place spiritually. We have accountability, and that's always a good thing. So we need to have the sanctification, have ourselves under control, our mind, our tongue, our body under control of the Holy Spirit. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. Okay, the last one is this. We need to think differently, or the Holy Spirit helps us to think differently. I shared this last Sunday uh, regarding the wild horse that was broken in by being thrown into the big mud hole. But 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, The love of Christ compels us uh, because now we judge like this, or now we think like this. That if one died for all, all have died, but now we're alive in Christ, but we're, we die to ourselves, that it's no longer we that live, but it's Christ living in us. Christ who died and rose again is now living in us. So the things that we think and do, it's not our, our main idea. It's about pleasing God first. So how are we going to give to these missionaries? How are we going to raise $25,000 to support these missionaries in 2020? How are we going to raise a million dollars to get that church off the ground over there? How are we going to... That doesn't even make sense in the natural. But with the Spirit of God, we begin to realize God is able. I could tell you God is able, but until you realize that yourself, you're never going to know God is able. It's a spiritual thing that happens in our spirit. We recognize God is definitely able, and God wants to do great things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says that the Holy Spirit uh, has revealed to us uh, the, the deeper things of God. So, yeah, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to understand how important it is to support these missionaries. Some people would say, what, you're going to spend that much money on missionaries? You're going to spend $5,000 on Hillstock? You're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do that, new church? Well, with the Spirit of God, you see things a whole lot different. Because you see it through the lens of the heart of God that wants to save people, wants to motivate his church to go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come into a relationship with him. So, in summary, let me just wrap this up. Missions and the Holy Spirit helps us to see the bigger picture helps us to have a uh, to be personally sanctified unto the Lord and helps us to think differently and think differently permanently I would say and I'll leave you with this one scripture from Acts 19:2 Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed Now I know the Holy Spirit's at work because you wouldn't be saved without the Holy Spirit but have you received the Holy Spirit the way we're talking about it today the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. See, these are all things that are important for us as we go forward in the things of God. Amen. Let's stand together. I want everyone to stand. I want every eye to be closed for for this one today.